Holiness is for you. I'm not saying this in the cliched, overused, market-saturated, abide-by-the-rules way. No. I'm saying this to the young woman that has just cut her hair for the first time, for the sister that owns a pair of jeans but doesn't know if it's holy to wear them, for the brother that just talked with his pastor and walked away confused, to the family struggling, to the singles leaving, to the mama crying, to each and every person questioning holiness. This podcast is for you. This isn't some deconstruction show, nor is an attack on a movement. This show is for those that believe the fundamentalist churches have gone off mission. Those that may have left, but their heart longs for holiness. Holiness is for you. This show is for you. Welcome back to the Lost Mission Podcast. everyone. Welcome back to the show. My name is Don Van Zandt. This is the Lost Mission Podcast, where our goal is to help us as believers get back to our mission of knowing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today. Man, it is good to say that. Guys, it's been a while. It's been some time since I've gotten back in the studio, recorded a podcast, and just came back to you guys. Uh, but I haven't not thought about you. Matter of fact, I've thought about you the audience, the listeners, a lot over the past many months. But I've been on a sort of a sabbatical. I've taken a break uh, myself. Um, I took an extended sort of mental health break. Um, and I don't mind saying that. I think sometimes those things are essential. They're necessary. We need to do it. I did a lot of soul searching. I, I grappled with my sinful self, as we all should do from time to time. Made a lot of changes in my life, uh, in my private life, sort of offline and, and away from the internet. Uh, made a lot of personal changes, good changes, peaceful changes, and uh, God has been good. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for all of that. But I am thrilled to be back here with you guys, and I'm excited to begin this new series. And, and I'm going to try and upload as regularly as I can. Here, here's my goal. Just up front, I want to let you, the listener, know I'm going to shoot for about once per month. Now, I don't know that that's how it's actually going to be able to shake out. I don't know how that's how things are going to be able to go. There are other things in life, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm a human being. There's only so much that I'm able to do. I'm going to shoot for once a month. If I can upload twice a month, great. But I was going weekly for quite a while, and I just don't see that happening. So if you're a listener and I'm not dropping new episodes every week, my apologies for that. But I'm going to try to record as much as I can. Because I am just looking forward to getting back to sharing the gospel with you guys. That's so vital, so necessary, so important, and I just I, I think it's something that we should we should talk about. We we should strive for. But today we are going to begin a new series on holiness. If you're anything like me, I'm willing to bet that you struggle with holiness, that you wonder about this. If you have a background in the holiness movement or movements, then uh, you probably struggle with holiness. Uh, you struggle with questions like, well, what is holiness? 
Um, how do we live out holiness in our daily lives? What is our part? What is God's part? Is, is it uh, really holiness or hell? Like <laughs> that's, That may have been a phrase you've heard in the past. Is it really holiness or hell? Is it? Well, we, we'll try to tackle some of those issues. Am I really not saved if I don't live up to a certain holiness standard? We're going we're to try to go through all of that. And I want to offer a little reassurance to those that have questioned or possibly left a legalistic background. Admittedly, this series isn't for everyone. It's just not. It's not going to be for every Christian out there. Many will look at it and say, what is this? What's, what's he talking about here? And you'll wonder. And you may look at it, and uh, on both ends of that side, you may, have, uh, you may still be in a fundamentalist church and say, this doesn't apply to me. Fine, cool. I'm not talking to you. You may be looking from the outside into a holiness, fundamentalist perspective, and you may say, I don't get that. That's fine. It's not really for you either. I invite you to listen. I would be thrilled if you would follow along with this study, but just know you're not my target audience, okay? If this conversation offends you, by all means, please shut off the video, turn off the podcast, move on with your life. Uh, I do not hope to offend anyone. It is never my goal to do those things. But if you're still curious, then I invite you to come on a little journey with me as we pursue holiness. That's what we're going to call this series is Pursuing Holiness. And for starters, we're going to be going through a discussion on this book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. I highly, highly recommend this book. This is a bit of an older copy. There's an updated edition that exists. You can find it on Amazon uh, pretty cheaply. You can find it on thrift books all over the internet, uh, possibly even at your local bookstore. Great book. And that is going to to be the background for our series. We're going through The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Now, this book has been a, a tremendous resource has been tremendously valuable to me in my life inside of holiness, inside of fundamentalism, and, and coming out of it. And, and I recommend it to any believer, any Christian. It's possibly, likely one of the greatest and most practical works on holiness that I've ever read. There are other books out there, but I recommend uh, The Pursuit of Holiness. Terrific book. All right, so holiness... Holiness. Let's talk about it. In today's episode, we want to tackle the question, is holiness for you? That's what we're striving to answer today in this show. Is holiness for you? We want to ask that question. We want to try to get to an answer as to why we might struggle with the question of holiness. Our text for today's lesson comes from uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as, uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace." When we talk about holiness, we need to understand the underlying element of our struggle. And I really believe the underlying struggle with holiness is not holiness itself. It's not so much a struggle with holiness nearly as much as it is a struggle with sin. Uh, Sin pervades every element of who we are. And we may not even realize that at times. We may not even realize the struggles that, that we have with holiness 
uh, or with sin because we think we're struggling with holiness. But the reality is that we are all, every one of us, struggling with sin. Uh, Like the writer of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin uh, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, so in this passage of Scripture in Hebrews, the idea being conveyed uh, by the writer is more than a simple categorization or cataloging of wrongdoings where some fall into the sin category and some fall into the weight category. Um, although that very well may be the case, where there's a conversation there to be had surrounding weights versus sins and what those may or may not be. I don't think that's the overriding sort of overarching point that he's going for. He, he's saying that in, in much the same way that uh, Olympic runners would cast aside flowing garments that would encircle the base of their legs uh, prior to a race, so must the Christian cast aside uh, every besetting sin, everything that, that would weight them down, that would slow them down, any, anything that would weigh them down in this race of life. He must also run to a prize. And that prize that he is running toward is Christ. That sounds great, right? You know, the Olympic runners, they would, they would cast off these heavy garments, and actually they would run in the nude, so <laughs> there's that. There's that little piece of information for you. They would cast all of their garments aside. They didn't want these long, flowing, heavy garments to weigh them down. That's why they would cast certain things aside. That's what the writer of Hebrews is alluding to here. But what about us? What about in our real life, right? We're not telling... <laughs> I'm not telling anybody to cast aside their garments. <laughs> like that, uh, keep, you know, keep your pants on. <laughs> but what about real life? What about these besetting sins? What about these weights? Should we just sit back and allow sin to have dominion in our lives? Or does the Bible offer some real answers for real life? We can look at it in the abstract, and we can talk about these great lofty principles of, of, oh, well, in the Olympic Games, but if we don't bring that home to our lives and, and let that affect us in a real way, what's the benefit? What's the use in that? You may have wondered before, does Scripture have any solutions for me, anything practical that I can put into my life? You may open the Bible and think, I don't, I, I don't get it. When I read this, it doesn't translate to me into my life. Well, hopefully we can, we can move past some of that because we want the Word of God to interact with us in a real way and on a real level. We want it to really change us. We want it to really affect us. Um, but we want Christ to be the center of every bit of that. Uh, I heard a man say recently that when he reads the Bible, he, he kind of takes it three places. First, he goes to the Bible, to the context, and he reads the context and understands it in the manner in which it was written. In its original authorial intent, he keeps the audience, the, the, the tone, the geography, all of those things in mind. He gets that right first. But as quickly as he can, he takes that to Christ, and he wants to find how does Christ interact with this passage? How is he being revealed or fulfilled? Where is Jesus in this passage? Then the third place is he brings that home to his own life. I think this is a great way to look at Scripture. Fantastic way. Maybe you should try sometime. <laughs> Uh, But Paul, in Romans 6, the passage that we started out with, Paul's answer in Romans 6 is still true. Sin will not have dominion over you. Very simple. That is holiness. The dispelling of sin in the life of the believer. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. 
All right, so from the pursuit of holiness, Jerry Bridges has this to say, the concept of holiness may seem a bit archaic to our current generation. To some minds, the very word holiness brings up images of bunned hair, long skirts, and black stockings. To others, the idea is associated with a repugnant, holier-than-thou attitude. Yet, holiness is very much a scriptural idea. The word holy in various forms occurs more than 600 times in the Bible. One entire book, the book of Leviticus, is devoted to the subject. And the idea of holiness is woven elsewhere throughout the fabric of Scripture. More important, God specifically commands us to be holy. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. The idea of exactly how to be holy has suffered many false concepts. In some circles, holiness is equated with a series of specific prohibitions from uh, mainly uh, false concepts. In some circles, holiness is equated with a series of specific prohibitions, usually in such areas as smoking, drinking, dancing, etc. Uh, the list of prohibitions varies depending on the group. When we follow this approach to holiness, we are in danger of becoming like the Pharisees with their endless list of trivial do's and don'ts and their self-righteous attitude. For others, holiness means a particular style of dress and mannerisms. And for still others, it means unattainable perfection, an idea that fosters either delusion or discouragement about one's sin. All of these ideas, while accurate, to some degree, miss the true concept. To be holy is to be morally blameless. It is to be separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. The word signifies separation to God and the conduct befitting those so separated. So you see the difference there. It's not just a list of don't do this, not just prohibitive. But holiness isn't just separation from Holiness is separation unto, separation from sin in the world, but separation unto God. And I feel as though the second half of that statement, of that, that, that approach, is often overlooked in the lives, the lives of those that may have came out of any fundamentalist perspective. So my goal, my goal is this. My goal is not to further this anti-holiness mentality. That's not what I'm going for. That's not what I want. So if you are hearing this, I am not anti-holiness. I am not anti-holiness. My goal is not to further this anti-holiness mentality or to damage the reputation of holiness any further. I don't want to do that. That is happening regularly, all the time. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's rap. Rather, I hope to help someone that has struggled with holiness wade through some of their own misconceptions about holiness and come out on the other side with a greater love for holiness and ultimately a greater love for God. Let me put this disclaimer out there on my end. As I've gone through this study, I read this book first when I was in Bible college many years ago. This is the copy that I picked up um, at Free Gospel Bible Institute at a book sale for like a buck. And this is the this is that same copy, and it's been terrific, it's been fantastic. Um, and I read it then, and it impacted my life. And now all these years later, it still impacts me when I read it. And just recently, going through the book again, I have found myself longing for holiness in a greater way. 
I have wanted to be like God. I wanted to be holy as God is holy. So why do we struggle with holiness? Why is this, why is this struggle there in the first place? In the book, Jerry Bridges offer, offers uh, three reasons why, three problems um, that people struggle with, with when, uh, in regard to holiness. And I think they're fitting. So we're going to go through these, and we'll talk about holiness. Problem number one, our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. We're more concerned with our own victory over sin than the fact that it grieves the heart of God. The reason we cannot tolerate failure is because we've become so success-oriented. That's a cultural thing. Um, We look at, at the world, and people, men, women, are driven to success. They're driven to success in life, in relationships, in marriage, in business, in everything. We have this goal, and that is to be successful. As a matter of fact, if you see a person that fits your framework of success, whatever that, that may look like, because it looks different for everyone, we admire those people. We admire successful people. I do. Um, I look at people that I feel as though have, quote, made it in ministry, and I'm like, that, that guy is great. So we, we admire success, and we want to be successful. But the reason that we can't tolerate failure is because we are so success-oriented. We don't see the times when those, those successful people have failed. We see only their, their successes. That's why social media is a farce. That's why social media is something we all struggle with. It's everybody's highlight reel. I mean, <laughs> there's literally a platform out there that is based on reels. <laughs> Instagram reels are made for the highlights. Nobody shows their fails on the reels. Um, and when they do, they still act like a highlight, right? You can look up uh, fails, and it's a guy crashing a motorcycle or whatever, um, but that's still a highlight. <laughs> We're so success-oriented. All right, so the reason we cannot tolerate failure is because we have become so success-oriented and not because our sin is offensive to God. Our attitude is more self-centered than God-centered. And this self-centeredness is grounded in pride and in humanism. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. Uh, we should hate sin, but we should hate sin for the right reasons. Have you ever met somebody that just kind of hated something for all the wrong reasons? Um, many times you, you look at a sports team, and they hate the opposing team just to hate them. Like, there's no real rationale. There's no real good reason why. Uh, they just, they just, they're haters. <laughs> so we, we want to, if, if we're going to hate sin, we want to hate it for the right reasons. We want to look at it and say, hey, we're upset at this for the right reasons. So don't get me wrong. We should hate sin, but we should hate it for the right reason. So in the book, Jerry Bridges highlights the fact that Pharaoh, Balaam, and Saul, and even Judas, they all make this proclamation. They all say, I've sinned. And sometimes we feel like that's good enough. Hey, God, I've sinned. My bad. But in Luke 15, you read the story of the prodigal son. And he doesn't just say, I have sinned. He goes to the father and he tells the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And look, our sin should grieve us so much that we first admit its reality in our lives. I've sinned but that we admit that it is before God. And that is the part that breaks our heart. Not just the failure, but the failure before 
God. A good way to remember this is that God wants us to walk in obedience and not in victory. All right, let me say that again for those in the back. Um, a good way to remember this is that God wants us to walk in obedience, in, in obedience to God, not in victory. First uh, John chapter five verses three through five. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, obedience, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has born of God overcomes the world, victory. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You say, hold up. Stop it right there. He literally talks about victory in this passage. Yeah, he does. But this is the way that he talks about it. Victory through obedience. We tend to focus on the victory mentioned in verse 4, but the victory is a result of our obedience, and our obedience is a result of our faith. We want to have faith in God, faith in Christ. So problem number one, our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. What's the other reason we struggle with holiness? Problem number two is we have misunderstood living by faith. So we talked about faith in that, in that last verse from 1 John chapter 5, uh, but, but we really sometimes misunderstand what it is to really live by faith. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, Galatians is a terrific book. I love Galatians. It's probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, of Paul's epistles. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, so living by faith is not a lawless lifestyle. Paul is not promoting lawlessness here. Rather, he is promoting faith. He's combating a legalistic approach to the law, and, and I did an entire series on legalism and holiness. You can go check it out. It's on my YouTube channel. It's, 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 you can find it on Spotify. Search for the Lost Mission podcast. You will find it. Go through and find this series, Combating Legalism, if you want to know more about that. Quote from J.C. Ryle, English Anglican bishop. J.C. Ryle was fantastic. Is it wise to proclaim in so bald, naked, and unqualified a way as many do? that the holiness of converted people is by faith only and not by personal exertion? Is it according to the proportion of God's word? I doubt it. That faith in Christ is the root of all holiness. No well-instructed Christian will ever think of denying. But surely the scriptures teach us that in following holiness, the true Christian needs personal exertion as well as faith. So there's this, this coming together of the two, of faith and works. This is how faith and works coincide, or coincide. Faith saves, faith keeps, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, no amount of work or law-keeping can either save us or keep us saved. And thank God, because if it was up to any work that I could do, I'd be out in a day. However, in matters of holiness, in matters of sanctification... Work is, work is undoubtedly essential. It's something that we must work out. Uh, like the old-timers used to quote the Scripture, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And they talked about going out to the old uh, cornfields or cotton fields, and they had to work out the corn, or they had to work out the cotton. 
Uh, they had to work out in the field in order to produce um, a harvest. I like that interpretation. I like that illustration. I think it's a good one. Thank you for that one, whoever first gave that to me. This is the working out of our salvation. This isn't the salvation itself. Holiness is the work of the believer. It's what we do. I mean, that, that, that's our thing. We work out holiness. If you're a believer, you're working toward holiness. If you're a saved person, you're striving toward holiness. If the Holy Spirit has come into your life and has regenerated you, and you've had that experience that Romans 8 talks about, that, um, well, let's just, let's just turn over and read it. It's just two pages over from where I'm at right now. Uh, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Okay, So there's no condemnation of them or in Christ. The Spirit has worked that thing out in us. He's done a great work. Um, so, but, but sanctification is the work of the believer, not salvation. All right? Not salvation. That's the work of Christ. But sanctification is the work of the, of the believer. It's what, we, it's what we do. This can be a little tricky to navigate, so don't let me, let me, let me be careful. Maybe slow down. And talk through this a little bit. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed uh, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Sanctification is the work of the believer. Don't get me wrong. It's not work we do alone. The Holy Spirit is there in partnership with us. He's working that out. But sanctification isn't salvation. Not the same thing. Uh, we are working out holiness. And when you see a person who, who has this sort of dead faith, they, they, they make these bold proclamations of, of salvation. I'm a Christian, and I know that I am. Uh, but you see no fruit of that. I'm not the judge of their soul, but it causes some serious questions to be raised in my mind. They look at somebody, hey, uh, some some poor person, some homeless individual, hey, I wish that guy was doing better, but they don't they don't really want to help. Uh, they never serve in their church. They never reach out through missions. They never um, uh, share the gospel. They're not evangelistic. I have trouble with those people. They don't reach out to the community in any way. People with dead faith substitute words for deeds, and it happens all the time. Those that have a dead faith, they make bold and deep theological proclamations, but there's no real life following that. And look, I realize we shouldn't go telling all the good deeds that we do. I'm not telling anyone to hop on Facebook and be like, oh, look, I, I helped out this guy at a flat tire today. Stop that. Don't do that. Like, don't share your alms on Facebook. You know, you'll, you'll get your reward if you do. Uh, but but don't, let your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Keep those things secret and hidden between you and God. He'll reward you. He'll take care of you. You know, you don't, you don't got to have your humble brag. Keep that to yourself. People with, with dead faith substitute words for deeds. They know the correct vocabulary for prayer and testimony. And can even quote the right verses from the Bible, but their walk does not measure up to their talk. They think their words are as good as works, and they're wrong. That's from, that's from Warren Wiersbe. 
This should come as a word of caution to those out there that are um, involved in online sort of parachurch ministries. It should come as a word of caution to us, myself included. We can get so busy with our Facebook posts and our comment sections and our videos and our TikToks and our Instagram reels and, and, and our memes and all the sharing and the, and the conversing and the talking until all we do is we talk, 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 talk until we're not really serving God. This should come as a word of caution also to those that tend to emphasize freedom in Christ. Words do not equal works. So let me go back through these again. Number one, our attitude is more self-centered than God-centered, okay? Number two, we misunderstood living by faith. And number three, we do not take sin seriously. We have this tendency to mentally categorize sin. I've had thousands of conversations with people where we've done this. Well, God views all sin the same. It's all sin uh, before the Lord, and um, you know, God God doesn't separate one sin from the other. And there's some truth to that, but there's also some conversation there. I think we should we should consider it. I think we should think through that. Is that a truth statement? Does God really feel that way? Does God really not categorize sin? For example, take blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a conversation to be had there about whether we can actually blaspheme the Holy Spirit in modern times or not. I don't really know the answer to that. I wish that I did. God seems to hate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit more than any other sin. He says that's the singular and only unforgivable sin. We talk about what that is, but just for illustrative purposes, he hates it. Uh, the Ten Commandments, I mean, they're the top ten. There's other commandments as well, but these are the top ten. Or the seven deadly sins mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6. So, so I'm, I'm not surely trying to weigh in on that conversation necessarily today. Um, I think there is conversation there, but I'm not really trying to get off into the weeds of that. Maybe we can do a separate uh, sideshow at some point. So I'm not trying to weigh in on that. Uh, but rather, um, I want us to understand that all sin is indeed offensive to God. One more time, I'm not trying to weigh in on how offensive each sin is to God, but rather the reality that all sin is indeed offensive to Him. That could radically shift our view of sin if we would just get a hold of that reality. Not to categorize, not to make it about me, but that my sin is against God. This reality should cause us to take sin more seriously than any categorization of sin could. It is true that God hates all sin. Let me share with us a couple of quotes from um, brothers Horatius and Andrew Bonar. I believe I'm saying that last name right. On sin, these were Presbyterian ministers from the late 19th century. Horatius Bonar, uh, sin is a disease, infectious and hereditary. Sin as guilt, inferring divine condemnation and doom, has been acknowledged. And along with the acknowledgement, the sad consciousness has existed that the race was not made for sin, and that man himself, not God, had wrought the wrong. Men in all ages and of all religions have in some poor way put in their protest against sin, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. 
That's how God feels about sin. And then his brother Andrew had this to say about it. It is not the importance of the thing, but the majesty of the lawgiver that is the standard of obedience. Some indeed might reckon such minute and arbitrary rules as these as trifling, but the principle involved in obedience or obedience was none other than the same principle or disobedience was none other than the same principle which was tried in Eden at the foot of the forbidden tree. It really is this. Is the Lord to be obeyed in all things whatsoever he commands? Is he a holy lawgiver? Are his creatures bound to give implicit assent to his will? And these guys are preaching holiness right there. Preach a little holiness. We must be willing to call sin, sin. Not because it's big or little, but because God's law forbids it. We cannot categorize sin if we are to live a life of holiness. Sin must be confronted for what it is. Look. Look at your sin. Call it sin. Stop calling it a struggle. You know, stop calling it a valley. Stop calling it, it something that you're just up against. Call it a sin. I watched many, many, many younger people grow up and not develop any deep roots in Christ, and eventually many of them fell away from Christ because they were either unable or unwilling or ill-instructed in how to refer to their sin as indeed being sinful. Call your sin, sin. When you fail, it's a sin. It's not just a struggle, not something you're, you're just dealing with. I'm not saying that to be hateful because I, I love you. But the reason why I'm saying this is I want you to get real with God because God doesn't accept your struggle. God doesn't accept the fact, oh, hey, Lord, help me with this. I'm really having a hard time with this. God accepts your repentance. So sin must be confronted for what it is. And this is why I'm so against legalism. This is why I'm so against legalism. At the heart of legalism is a deep rebellion against God. And we do one of two things. One of them I just mentioned. Uh, but one, we believe we can keep the law well enough that we don't need God. We think, oh, I got this. I'm walking in perfect obedience. I haven't sinned in 50 years. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> That's why I'm so against legalism. One is people have this perfectionist view. Or two, the way they, they work around that, the way they circle that, is we refuse to acknowledge our sin against God by ignoring his word or calling it by some other name, uh, a trial, struggle, hang-up, failure, etc. That's why I'm against legalism. That's why I hate legalism. That's why I hate it in me when I see it. When I'm unwilling to confront my own sin and call it pride or call it lust or call it anger or call it bitterness or call it whatever it needs to be called, that's why I'm against that. It's also why I'm against when I'm like, no, nah, I hadn't sinned. No, I want to be that prodigal son. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. All right, at any rate, the believer must be willing to grapple with his sin if he is ever to grow in holiness. We want to grow in holiness. We want to grow closer to God. So what should be our attitude toward all these things? Should we become so overwhelmed by our inadequacy and inability that we just throw up our hands and quit? like so many that I've seen? No. Should we strive to follow every little letter of the law in some vain attempt to please God? I, I, I would venture to say no, because we can't. 
We should strive to please God, but we know we are going to fail that, so we don't want to become legalistic. We should rest in the finished work of Christ. Find security in what Jesus has done, guys. Take rest in our salvation. Know that in Christ we are made holy. When we are in Him, we are already holy. It is Christ that has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.9 Should we strive for holiness in all areas of life? Absolutely. Is holiness for you? Yes, holiness is for you. One more time. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. Guys, that's going to do it for this one. Grace, peace. I'll catch you next time.